This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and your organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Longwoods International, one of the premier research firms in the travel and tourism space in the world. Longwoods produces groundbreaking research, thought-leading insights, and excellent counsel and service to DMOs in areas such as visitor research, advertising effectiveness, image research, and their new resident sentiment study. Learn more about Longwoods at longwoods-intl.com. And now it's on to our show today. We welcome two sector veterans to talk about the future of our sector. Reno Sparks Convention and Visitors Authority President and CEO Charles Harris was selected to lead the organization, and he joined that team in November of 2020. Reporting to the RCCVA Board of Directors, Charles is responsible for all activities associated with the operation of the organization and its facilities. Charles served as the Chief Marketing Officer and Executive Vice President of Public Affairs for Visit Anaheim from 2014 to 2020. And prior to joining the travel and tourism industry, Charles worked on sports management initiatives with the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Anaheim Ducks, the Angels baseball team, and UC Irvine Athletics. Also, please welcome Gabe Cedar, who is the Senior Director of Advocacy Policy and Program Development at Destinations International. In this role, he focuses on issues related to destination management, sustainability, and strategic planning, public policy issues such as homelessness, affordable housing, economic development, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and ways to achieve destination organization alignment with the community that it serves. So guys, welcome to DMOU. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. Good to have you here. First off, Charles, before we get to our three questions and the bonus round, you got to tell us how is your destination faring with the fires that are just outside your community? Yeah, thank you for asking, Bill. It's certainly been a challenge up in the Lake Tahoe area. Certainly, we service both Reno and the Sparks area, as well as Lake Tahoe. And the California fires have been devastating, certainly for many people. Uh, The Caldor Fire and the Tamarack Fires are south of Lake Tahoe. And really, the impact, it's tough. There's been 218,000 acres as of this morning that have been burned. It's 53% contained. That being said, Reno really hasn't been been impacted by that. And so okay. what we've done from a community standpoint is to help evacuate people in the destination of Reno. And how has it impacted you? Because you say, really, you're not impacted by the fire as much as other sections of the region. But from a, a PR standpoint or a just you hear the word fire and you hear the word Reno and you think that it's all the same, but it's really not an unsafe situation, correct? It's very safe in, in the Reno area. The fires have been in California for the most part, but obviously, you know, Lake Tahoe bans both California and Nevada. Uh, what Reno had seen until recently was smoke from the fires. Yeah. Uh, no evacuations in Reno, but we feel for our partners in the community and, and want to make sure that we're there to help out. Yeah. Got to tell you, the sunsets here in the Midwest, where we live, have been absolutely breathtaking. But we all know every time we see one of those that it's breathtaking because of the smoke that's in the air. And we have a fountain on the back deck that you look in the basin where the water flows. And it is this, if you remember Crayolas, there was that color called burnt sienna. And the entire base is burnt sienna. And there's no question in my mind, and we've never seen this before, that this is Mm. the fallout from fires that are thousands of miles away. So we feel for you. We think of you often, and uh, we're glad that things are pretty good where you are. So the topic today is the recently released Destination Next Future Study, 
Now, this is a study that's been a fixture for Destinations International for over a decade, pointing the path forward for those of us that lead DMOs to understand what the next couple of years should bring. So this year, the study was released a week before the Delta variant began to spike. And I don't know if this is real, but I believe many of us absorbed the presentation at annual meeting and then drove back to our day jobs and kind of forgot about it. So that's one of the reasons we wanted to do this session is to, you know, say, hey, there were some really profound findings in this study that we need to identify, embrace, and address. So we're going to shift the format slightly on this episode, and we're going to have Gabe set up the three primary transformational opportunities that were identified in the study. And then for each one of those transformational opportunities, we're going to have Charles describe how his DMO has embraced the concept at the local level. So here we go. Number one, Gabe, tell us, destination alignment. What is it and what does it mean? Sure. Uh, thanks, Bill. Before we jump into this too, you know, I, I should just take a moment to thank Paul Met, uh, Greg Oates, and the team over at, uh, at MMGY Next Factor, who uh, obviously led the future study for more than a year and, uh, and really put out a uh, report that, uh, that we're very, very proud of. You know, just want to make clear that uh, we're in no way trying to take credit for their great work and uh, just, you know, hats off to that team for some fantastic work. You know, I'll go ahead and, and remind everyone that this is based on interviews with about uh, 150 leaders from the industry, um, from the tourism industry and related industries as well, um, economic development, uh, urban planning, uh, hospitality, travel, tourism, and so on, as well as uh, a survey that was completed by uh, more than 700 people in 50 different countries that uh, all resulted in the, uh, you know, the findings that, that are summarized in that, that, that study. So, you know, it's, it's based on really a, a remarkable survey of, uh, of the industry. And, uh, you know, I think that's borne out in the, uh, in the findings. Uh, so having said that, uh, you know, the, the results of that, that survey um, are summarized in, in 100 different trends in, in 80 different strategies that the Next Factor team summarizes. And then based on those, we've gone through and identified three, uh, what we call transformational opportunities. These are really, you know, macro trends that we see in the industry. And those are, are the following. Uh, the first is this idea of destination alignment. Uh, the second is sustainable development. And the third is values-based marketing. And so that is to say, if we were to find, you know, three areas that, you know, executives in the destination management industry would really be focusing on, it would be these three things, destination alignment, sustainable development, and values-based marketing. If we jump into each of these different areas, you know, maybe we start with this idea of destination alignment. And this really dovetails with everything that we've been talking about Destinations International for years with this idea of community shared value, this idea that the role of the destination organization goes far beyond just promotion uh, or even just management of a destination. And really that the mission of these organizations uh, should be based on a greater collaboration between the private sector, the public sector, uh, and to some extent, the civic sector as well. You know, it's this idea that when the industry, when the community, and when the government are all aligned in a destination, they are able to create a destination that is more competitive, produces a, a better destination experience for, for visitors. And one thing that's pointed out in the survey, and I think that this is you know, a really good point, is that it really took, in some ways, the COVID crisis for this to become visible. Uh, that is to say that you know, we know that our sector was you know, among the most uh, severely hit over the past year and a half or so. And 
you know, it was really the disappearance of the economic impact of the destination of the, of the tourism industry that you know really brought the role of the destination organization uh, forward and made it made it more visible. So yeah, I mean, we could go on and on and think about this idea of destination alignment. It's it's really just this idea that a destination organization should be involved in placemaking. Its role is not just to have a seat at the table, but maybe you know to be the one that's facilitating, really be at, at the head of the table and aligning the public, private, and civic sectors. And alignment to me way past the whole concept of heads and beds, right? Because that's not aligned. That's only aligned with our hotel community. The alignment you're talking about, and I think that we've seen in this study, is that you understand the culture of the community, you mirror that culture, you amplify that culture. And if there are issues that are maybe not tourism related, you still try to figure out a way to be a partner and help with that. And so, Charles, I'm going to move to you now and say, you know, I know you had experiences in Anaheim and maybe it's too early in your tenure at Reno Tahoe, but how should today's DMOs build destination alignment? Great question. And for the record, I never put this study back on the shelf. This is something that we have to live with and it is so valuable because it's, it's a temperature check of what's happening across the world for our destinations. And so it is uh, timely it is important. And quite honestly, for me, it all starts with the community and the community outreach. You know, I'm coming up on a year anniversary in Reno Tahoe, and there are some specific things that I've already started to enact and engage with for the community. Because as Gabe was talking about, when you, you have to align the government, the community and industry priorities, and certainly community, as we saw in the trend, ranking number one, it is, it is so darn important. So I'd love to give you a couple examples of what we're doing in in Reno, maybe even one or two in, in Anaheim. Yeah. So first of all, you know, the future study, we're currently going through the D-Next evaluation in Reno Tahoe, which has never been done. And that specifically is engaging in the community to get their understanding, expectations, and mission moving forward. And that's, that hasn't been done here before. So when we started that, we sent out invites to 12,000 folks in the community, and that made up our staff, our board, community leaders, our partners, uh, on the meetings and convention side, really to get their feedback. Because if their voice isn't heard, we're not doing our job. And we might think we know how to move this organization forward, but we need to have that. So, so, so that's super important. Mm -hmm. um, the second thing is yeah. we participate actively in community events. In Reno Tahoe, there's about 100 different festivals uh, a year, which is amazing. We fund about 30 of those festivals partially as a commitment to the community, that really totals about a half million dollars in the last year. And so again, we help not only the community to enjoy that, but it does ultimately attract some folks on the outside. We just can't ignore the locals in that. Before I arrived, we weren't speaking to that community enough, right? So one of the things that I've done is we've instituted a, a weekly email blast for any, anybody in the community that wants to know what's happening with the organization, with our industry and trends. And part of that is to over-communicate to be able to say, hey, anytime you want something, we're going to be transparent. We're going to get aligned. And so this community newsletter, as well as every meeting that we have from a board, is published on YouTube. And so that helps get that word out so we can better define really what our role in that community is. We mentioned the fires. And again, we opened up our facilities. So what I'm working to do is to reposition the organization as part of the community and as active in this community. One suggestion that, that I would highly recommend, and I talked to Don Welsh about that, is at the DI convention in Baltimore, 
I brought a member of our board and a city councilwoman to help educate her about our industry so that she saw hands-on, it's not a board meeting or an email, that she got to interact with people, saw the futures presentation, and ultimately we want to turn her into an advocate. Yeah. And so by doing that and engaging with the folks that are the stakeholders, that helps us to align where we really want to get to. That is what we all need to be doing. And I think that when we see DMO meltdowns, it's when that alignment doesn't happen. And so I can't agree more that destination alignment is job number one. So we move to job number two. Not that there's a pecking order, but this is the second one we're going to ask about. So back to you, Gabe. That is sustainable development. Why is sustainable development in your eyes and through the DNEX study so much more important than it may have been in the future study five or six years ago? Yeah, good question, Bill. And, you know, I'd say that, you know, this idea of sustainable uh, development, sustainability sort of writ large has obviously surfaced in previous future studies. And, you know, obviously it's something that we've talked about in the industry for a long time. One of the issues that the industry is guilty of is not understanding very well what is meant by sustainable development. And I think there's a, a, a certain wariness of this idea of sustainability um, in association with kind of tree hugging and maybe ineffective or strategies that aren't necessarily conducive to, uh, to, the, to the bottom line. You know, what, what we try to articulate in the future study is that really this is a, a much bigger issue and really relates to the destination organization's role in being effective stewards and effective managers of a destination. And yep. that's to say that a destination organization has a mandate to become involved really in the supply side of that destination equation and, you know, not just being involved in the promotion. Um, and insofar as they're involved in, in that supply side and in managing the destination, then they need to do so in a way that aligns with consumer expectations and really that contributes to the, to the well-being of that destination. In this study, we kind of lay this out in a few different areas. Um, so obviously there's this idea of environmental sustainability, uh, the idea that a destination organization should play some sort of role in guiding that. You know, we've seen destinations that are really proactive in this, where they've, they've developed, you know, sustainability strategies at the forefront of changing behavior, changing development, changing investment in, in a destination. There's different shades of involvement here and in different levels of involvement. This isn't constrained to this environmental consideration. Um, you know, I think the, the past year, you know, in 2020, especially, uh, in the U.S. was uh, a big moment in our industry with this idea of uh, social justice, of equity, of inclusion in the industry, uh, diversity, representation in the industry. These kind of forces and trends certainly fit within this idea of, of sustainability. We've seen our members have really embraced this role, again, getting involved in ensuring uh, equity and representation in, in the industry. Here in D.C., they've launched the uh, uh, DEI district, which uh, obviously promotes underrepresented businesses and uh, really is an initiative to ensure greater equity in the tourism industry here. Mm -hmm. We see, especially, you know, in the, the social area in the past year, but um, just this kind of groundswell of consumer demand for sustainability writ large. Um, and so obviously that's, that's made its way into the, into the survey. And uh, there's a, a number of strategies of sort of detailing how different destinations have addressed this. 
Yeah. So Charles, I facilitated a panel at ESTO last month that took the concept beyond sustainability, which I think we are getting our arms around, but we don't fully understand. But the people we had on the panel had moved all the way over to stewardship. So in communities like Anaheim and Reno Tahoe, how does a DMO become, as Gabe said, that steward for sustainability? Certainly, you know, destination master plans where the DMO has a seat at the table and is driving an overall long-term plan that engages transportation, government, city council, business, airports that really drive that vision and what that destination looks like down the road. Because to your point, at once upon a time, it was all heads and beds. And, and so for a lot of hoteliers, it's still a part of that. But overall, what is the viability of that destination moving forward? And a destination master plan, heading the stewardship is super important. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. There are a lot of pieces that go into it. Certainly, the environment is absolutely crucial. And, and destinations have taken a, a stronger step in that. Just look and see what we have going on right now, right? Hurricanes in Florida and Louisiana, wildfires, temperature changes. How are we going to make sure, I don't know that we can get to a zero carbon footprint, but what does the environment look like and what role do we play as stakeholders in that? I, I can certainly tell you that in Reno Tahoe, the first step you know, you look at is messaging. What can you do to help educate people that are coming into the market who use the facilities, the resources that are there? But the messaging is really that first step. I think the folks at Lake Tahoe have done a tremendous job of of asking people to take a pledge and take a pledge that when you come to the destination, you're going to leave it in as good a shape, if not better than, than when you got there. And again, it is a more active role that destinations are taking to do that. But also, you know, while we can message and do that, we have to look at ourselves. Are we recycling? Are we doing those types of things from an yeah. internal operations of our organizations that really is walking the walk? And when it comes to social justice, certainly there's been a huge shift in that and the changes what's happening in society. And again, we have to ask ourselves, what can we do as a destination to help move that mission forward? So in Reno Tahoe, when people have uh, retired or left the organization, one of the things that I'm looking to do is how do we find qualified applicants to hire more diverse staff? And we've started to do that as people have retired and they have moved on. And that's also certainly part of it. But when you look at stewardship, it's, it's big picture, right? How do we make sure that we're relevant, that we're viable, that we're a part of this community and basically have a seat at that table for the long term. And if there isn't a seat at that table, do you make your own table? I think you have to. I think you have to build coalitions and people that, that have uh, like-minded visions. Certainly economic development is a huge issue for us today, right? Sure. So where does the DMO fit into that? Certainly what Reno has seen recently is that there's been an influx of people moving from California into the Reno Sparks area. There's a lot of technologies that have come in for both growth, for economics, and certainly opportunity. And again, those types of folks, when I got to Reno, it was, I don't know who's all at the table, but I'm going to go out and build my resources that can help align this overall destination to move it forward together. So if you don't have that seat, yeah, absolutely build your own table. Yeah, I think that really goes to show, Bill, these trends don't exist in isolation. There's so much overlap here, too, between you know what we we're just talking about with this idea of destination alignment and this idea of sustainability. You know, when, when Charles talks about going out to stakeholders, pulling people together, uh, building coalitions, that's really what we're talking about here uh, on both sides, you know, in destination alignment and sustainability, uh, where we talk about the role of the destination organization 
as the catalytic force in a destination, as the facilitator. The destination organization really has no mandate to write policy or to you know, develop programs that address you know, sustainable issues. However, they have the ability to create coalitions that are able to, to address those things. So you know, I think that's uh, an important point and worth considering there. Just to follow up to that, when, when, when we were in Reno, we had not aligned ourselves close enough with the airport board. We had certainly helped fund things and we had done some very positive things before I got there. But what we've been able to do is we actually held a joint board meeting between our organization and the airport in Lake Tahoe, strategizing how do we move transportation, lift, engagement with the different airlines forward. I asked Don Welsh, I said, has this happened very often? And he said, since I've come to DI, there's been never an alignment. And I think every DMO has to align with their local airports when it comes to lift and moving that mission forward. Yeah, absolutely. So actually the number three takeaway, Gabe, to your point, is values-based marketing. And that too, maybe not at its core, but is going to be informed by alignment and, and by sustainability. So in a world that is as polarized as ours is today, where everybody's looking for a reason to be pissed off, how does a DMO stand for values in its marketing that so many consumers could oppose? I mean, that's a good question, Bill. Especially worth considering when you, when you look at some of the strategies that the corporate world has taken. Uh, you know, you, you get some pretty major consumer brands that have staked out positions in various controversial topics and really stake their brand in that in very public ways. The importance of reflecting, you know, the, the values of your community and, you know, building a brand based on your community is, is obviously very important. My expectation is that it, it can be done in a way that isn't necessarily going to alienate groups of people the way that maybe some brands have done. Nor should they, I think, uh, you know, the idea of being a, a welcoming, inclusive destination is, is really important for all of our members, really for, all, for any destination. I know that being said, you know, I think that identifying what it is that makes a destination unique and identifying, you know, what is sort of that cultural DNA of, of a destination uh, and going out and attracting like-minded people is what makes a destination organization, a destination marketing strategy effective. Uh, and what we've seen over the past year and a half, certainly, and longer than that as well, is, you know, where destinations have seen an opportunity to target certain markets, certain segments in a way that is based on values and that is based on certain aspects of their community. But again, this doesn't have to be something that would be, you know, kind of controversial or just another kind of battle in the, the culture wars that we see playing out kind of in all other aspects of, of public life. But, you know, we talk about in the, in the strategy, this idea of Colorado tourism office going out and, and targeting people who, who value and appreciate nature and want to be uh, thoughtful stewards of nature and saying, look, this is a, a segment that really aligns with what we're looking for. It aligns with uh, the needs and expectations of our residents, uh, of our communities. And so we'll, we'll build out campaigns that, that target this certain type of consumer. So that's really what's, what's meant by this idea of values-based marketing. It's really taking that community and making sure that the community is reflected in the promotion, in the marketing, really positioning the community as the destination in a lot of ways. You know, but it can be construed both ways. And when I first saw the concept of values-based marketing, I thought of a bureau 
that a number of years ago, probably during the 2016 presidential elections, had a campaign. I mean, it wasn't the brand, but it was a campaign that proudly said, we are a blue city in a red state. And it's like, wow, that's taken out of position right there. And proudly, because they said, you know something? Our values are liberal progressive. And if you're painfully red, you're probably not going to have a good time here. And so let's just be upfront about it, that that's who we are. That's who we love to be. But on the other side of the coin, you're right. It doesn't have to be divisive. It can be something like the value of being welcoming, inclusive, and everybody's trying to figure out, you know, what's the right mix in the marketing message. You know, when we do our work with DMO Vision, which is our product that we can actually, through focus groups, we can test your video and tell you, okay, those five scenes work like a champ. That one's got to go because people just turn off on it. When we showed people of all cultures, people of other cultures, we never saw as much of a half of a percent blip when they saw somebody who didn't look like them and they would dial down. Never happened. Not once in 10 or 15 cities that we've done where we do the focus groups. And so I think we can be safe in saying that we can share those values, that we are welcoming, that we are inclusive. We are a diverse population base, uh, if you are, that gets also to the whole concept of values-based marketing. But you're right. Charles, as Gabe said, former Colorado tourism director, Kathy Ritter, who was on a podcast earlier this year and talked about it, shared that their target audience were, as Gabe said, people who shared their values about sustainability, about environment, about culture. How have your DMOs targeted your values, either in Anaheim or in Reno Tahoe or both in your marketing? It's a great question. And it's a very tough question to answer because, you know, obviously our country's more divided than ever. Yeah. And taking a position in one area is possibly alienating other areas. The, the one example before I get into what we're doing is Patagonia. And Patagonia has been in the news recently because they pulled out of Jackson Hole when they didn't agree with a political fundraiser. So again, they took a very active position. They wear their brand on their sleeve, if you'll forgive the pun. And they just put a stake in the ground and says, they said, this is who we are. And this is what we believe in. I heard someone say this morning when I was in a discussion that Michael Jordan used to say, you know what? Democrats and Republicans buy shoes. And so yeah. he was very careful right. what he positioned and what his messages were. I think to the point that we have to all be inclusive is certainly important. And, and I applaud Kathy Ritter for what she's done there and what she did while she was at Colorado. We've done the same thing in Reno with our messaging because Reno certainly in the Reno Tahoe area is all about the outdoors. Right. You have the lake, which is phenomenal. You've got amazing skiing and snowboarding. You've got uh, amazing hiking and trails. And so a lot of our messaging, certainly on the digital side has skewed towards inclusive nature, safety, outdoors, which is what people want today during COVID. They want to be outdoors, they wanna feel safe. And so that is an inclusive message that we can put out there and we have certainly since even before I got there. And so kudos to our marketing team that has carried that forward. I think at the end of the day, you've gotta be authentic to who you are and who the brand is. Because if you're gonna to try to create some sort of position or values that doesn't align, it's gonna come back to bite everybody in that process. Yeah. And so. You know, for us, we use the outdoors. We use that as part of who we are. But again, I think that in a world where there are too many trolls on social media 
And one little misstep can lead to a lot of crisis management. As DMO leaders, we all have to be careful when we walk a fine line, looking for that inclusive message versus something that will be much more divisive. Very true. Very true. So we position DMOU as three questions in a bonus round, but I'm going to go to four questions because the hell it's my show. Charles, <laughs> what else in the future study made you stand up and take notice? What were the other nuggets that you found? First of all, in the trend ranking, I think there was like nine different topics in the top 25 that were new. Yeah. And what that shows us is that the speed at which the strategic plans and direction that we're headed. When I walked into the Reno Tahoe opportunity, we were finishing a five-year strategic plan. You can't have that anymore because of the pace at what is changing. It's got to be a three-year plan. And so seeing nine of the top 25 things that are new is crazy to me. Certainly yeah. things like better data management, that's going to be continue to be important as we try to personalize and get a hold of our data and what we do with that. You know, as marketers, most of us are not trained analytic business folks, but yet we have to make sense of the data and use that data. And so it's going to be important how we use it moving forward. In, in Anaheim, I established a business intelligence team to better understand that data, both in the sales process as well as the visitor. And I think that that's going to remain important, risk management. What that looks like during COVID, regular visitors, that's also new this year, also super important. And certainly the whole e-commerce and, and how we have adjusted during COVID came up in the trends report. And again, we're digesting, we're positioning, and it's a process. Okay. So Gabe, for those people who are listening in and are not familiar with the future study, how do they get their hands on this document uh, and this this living, breathing direction forward? Uh, that's the easiest question of the day. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's on our website, uh, destinationsinternational.org. Um, it's there. It's, it's freely available, you know, PDF download. Uh, you can access our, our past reports as well um, if you want to, uh, to try to put that into some historical context. Obviously, we're, we're happy to talk with any of your listeners that uh, would be interested in, in hearing a little bit more about this or, uh, or learn how they could participate in the next one. Well, that's one of the reasons that we love Destinations International, because as we all know, there's a lot of trade associations that keep their proprietary knowledge behind a firewall or behind a password wall, and that you've got to join the organization to better understand your world. There is some of that. For DI, I mean, you know, there's some stuff that is exclusive to members, but these kinds of absolutely breakthrough studies, you want the world to see these. You want destination marketing organizations, whether they are members or not, to learn from. And with that, I just, you and the team, Don et al. at Destinations International, I think that the way you go about what you do and the sharing of information is pretty sensational. So thank you for that. So bonus round, Gabe, you've been on the show before, so we've already done you. We're going to focus on Charles uh, on this bonus round question. I'm sure there are tons of fascinating stories from your sports management years, but I'm more intrigued with your passion and a relatively new passion, as I understand, for landscape photography. So Charles, tell us where you've been and what you like to shoot. Oh, wow. Um, thank you for asking Landscape photography is my passion and it's my sanity. Anytime that I travel for work, any business trip, I find a way to get up early in the morning or late in the afternoon. So 
my favorite place to photograph is uh, New Zealand yeah. and Australia, which I've been yeah. to twice. The nature there speaks for itself. It makes me look like a pretty good photographer <laughs> when I'm still doing a lot of learning. I would say that right before COVID, I got a, the opportunity to go to Chile and um, Argentina and was in five national parks there. Wow. And th those are not as frequented as you know the U.S. parks, but still magnificent. And if given the right opportunity, just pure, pure special opportunities. I also really enjoy not only California uh, and the coast, but Colorado and, and seeing Vail and things like that. And right now, right now, what I'm really learning about is Northern Nevada. So yeah. photographing Lake Tahoe and the outdoors of the desert, in Northern Nevada. So just a little sample of, of my passion and what I love to photograph. Yeah. Well, there are sections obviously of, of even this country, Nevada, Utah, Arizona, that it's like another planet. It really is. And so I'm with you on that. What kind of gear do you use? I shoot Canon and I have several different lenses. We don't have time to go in the story where I got stuck in, the, in a canyon and I had to spend the night outdoors somewhat unprepared right before I took this job in Utah. But I love the gear and whether it's uh, you know the tripods or uh, the zoom lenses, I, I shoot Canon. I love my 2.8 24-70 lens, which is the favorite for landscape photography. Yep. And then I push that all over to Instagram to be able to curate and, and tell that story. Very, very cool. Hey guys, thank you so much for blessing us with your insights about the industry, about our world, about the future study. Uh, we love the way you think and lead us all forward. So thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you so much. Thanks Bill for having us. You bet. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers, this is where the best and the brightest come to share their stories. It's DMOU.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, our friends at Longwoods International, producers of groundbreaking research, thought-leading insights, and excellent counsel and service to DMOs in areas such as visitor research, advertising effectiveness, image research, and their new resident sentiment study. You can learn more at longwoods-intl.com. DMOPros.com is where you're going to find more on our service for the DMO sector, links to the Z News, the book called Destination Leadership, our position papers on board diversity and the future of destination marketing, our blogs and the biggest DMO job board on the planet, as well as past episodes of DMOU. That's DMOPros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time. <laughs>